I'm Mary Sue Tobin, and I've lived in Portland for almost 30 years. Before that, I was born and bred in Eugene, um, and I moved up here in about 1990. So were you aware of a Portland music scene when you first moved here? Yeah, definitely, because I had already been playing in Eugene um, at the time. There was a, a big blues scene in Eugene, punk rock scene, definitely funk and reggae. So uh, by the t- I was a teenager in Eugene, and I was playing with bands from Portland that would come down to Eugene, um, and uh, people that were from Eugene that had moved to Portland. So I was definitely aware of the Portland scene, and I was going up even at 15 and 16 to play um, in Portland clubs with reggae bands and funk bands and blues bands. So I was actually um, entranced with the Portland scene and couldn't wait to get up here. So Cool. So do you feel like you gelled in pretty quickly with the Portland music scene once you got up here? Um, well, that, that's interesting because I, I did know people in the music scene, but I more knew the sort of hippie Eugene reggae people and at the time and the band that I joined was a world beat group that played at clubs we you know would sell out Key Largo downtown I could make my rent just from a weekend gig at Key Largo um which Eugene did not have that so the band I was in was popular and worked in the scene but at the time there were these sort of mega pop bands in Portland. So like uh, Quarter Flash and uh, Dan Reed Network and um, uh, Crazy Eights were really big. Um, now I knew some of the Crazy Eights. That was sort of more my scene. I knew the guys in the Cherry Pop and Daddies. But that bigger pop echelon, definitely I sort of felt like kind of a hick from Eugene when I first got here. And they're like, who's this little girl playing the saxophone? You know, like, this is the big city. Um, So I didn't, uh, and people like Curtis, and um, I felt kind of small, but... I would go down to the candlelight, um, and I would I was very comfortable going and jamming. So I would go to the jazz jams. I would go to the blues jams. Uh, I was pretty unafraid at that point, um, and so I got to know a lot of the blues musicians and jazz musicians. And I definitely felt, um, if not like embraced, like hey, you know, welcome to our community. Um, at the same time, I was getting a pretty prime gig so um i think there was possibly some resentment but i never from other sax players because i was getting uh, you know this high-paying job as a 18 year old from eugene um and even though the scene at that time you could make a lot of money playing being a club musician um still there was there was it wasn't for like everybody it was those top 10 bands that were filling the clubs you know so um so i did feel accepted i definitely felt uh, in inside of the community but i also made an effort to get out and go check out the rest of the community go to jam sessions you know all the things that you're supposed to do when you move to a new city so so do you think someone coming here today would be able to get that same welcoming vibe it's interesting um when i moved towards playing jazz uh more later after touring 
going back to school, all that kind of stuff. Um, I would get at the time there was a surge in insurgence of people of jazz musicians, young jazz musicians coming to Portland. Like it was this Mecca land and I would get, um, calls or emails from people I knew. <clears throat> and it's almost that old fashioned thing of here's a, pa- here's a paper, go to these people, they'll get you in the scene. So I actually, there was people that you know sent me an email like so and so told me to call you and i would be like oh okay i trust so and so sure you can come over to my house and cuz the people would come over we would listen to music and and uh or hire people for gigs and i think that that still is the same so if you know somebody and you have an in and you kind of have a mentor or somebody who's going to vouch for you um, I think that that's extremely helpful. I think trying to break into the scene without having any sort of pin, you're going to have to go out um, to the, there's, there's definitely a, a pecking order in this town for sure. And um, there's call lists, you know, top call and somebody could be just as good, but they're not going to get called because they haven't you know quote unquote paid their dues or been around um but i think if you have if you have somebody to help you and you are going out and um i don't go to all the jam sessions anymore but i send my students there if they want if if they say to me that they want to be in bands and they want to play i'm like well do everything do everything go to every jam session go to all different kinds of jam sessions go sit in with people you know take crappy gigs you know <laughs> like because i th- it is a little bit elitist here i would have to say yeah do you think it's grown more elitist since you've been here i think um that it, there's so many good musicians here that maybe it's not elitist but there's it's it's a lot it's a lot of people um that wanting to have studio projects and have gigs and there are a lot of venues the scene is really good but uh people tend to hold on to their gigs they tend to be um you know like if i if uh, they have a sub it'll be like don't steal my gig you know (laughs) and uh so i think maybe it is just because of we've had so many people move here and there's such a pool of talent i mean it's sort of a uh, oh poor us we have so many good players but and yay for me because I've been here for thirty years so I don't have to worry about it but I would I would I would feel a little bit of um, old there and then there's the old school Portland thing too so uh, old school Portlanders tend to be like who the fuck are you oh sorry you know who That's who the right. hell are you <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, you know, how long have you been here? Definitely that kind of a thing. Yeah, or who do you know, you know? So do you feel that after being here for 30 years that you've become a name that people would drop then themselves to get yeah. in to play with this? Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I can say <laughs> that because I have played in every kind of band here in this town. And I have, I have almost never had a day job. This, you know, I've been poor, so I can say that my street crowd is pretty darn good in this town. And 
but it is funny because like I've I've had people um use my name which seems a weird thing but I often people will say oh they said they knew you oh they said they knew you and I'm like who are they you know like I don't actually know them so if you're dropping my name but please make sure that I know you you know <laughs> but yeah and they'll do it for publicity too like I've had my photo when I'm just sort of doing a casual gig and my photos blasted all over the posters and it's like I that's was one hour gig I'm not like part of your band you know and um so I, I'm not, uh, it doesn't really bother me, but I do think it is um, odd when people <laughs> drop my name that I don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like, yeah, I think I played one gig with you five years ago. We were not colleagues, but not to be mean because I'm not mean and I wish the best for people, no. but also it is my name and I worked hard for the reputation that it brings, so right. yeah. As a non-day job kind of person, has it gotten easier or harder for you to survive in Portland as a musician? Definitely easier. Def like, I dreamed of the life that I have now, uh, and people are will say to me, you know, oh, y your boys are grown, you could go off to New York. Why, why would I want to do that? I'm, I'm top call, I have a house, I have a full studio of students that I like. I could drop students if I didn't want them i have a um you know i i direct a band i like all the bands that i'm in uh, i do have a space in the community so when i was you know poor and couldn't pay my rent and going to jam sessions and i have all the gear you know that i need i when i was younger i didn't have a stand i didn't have you know <laughs> i was using old reeds and now i'm like wow i have all the saxophones and they're all nice and I have stands for all of I feel like the richest I'm not rich but I do f I feel like if only 19 year old me could have seen me now you know what luxury I have a house in southeast <laughs> that my students come to my gigs pay me money <laughs> right. I have nice gear <laughs> um this is like I'm living the dream. People always say that you're living the dream. I know. I feel like I am living my dream that I wanted for myself as as a kid. You know. So yeah, it's. I think it's gotten easier, and it's just gotten easier because <coughs> people know me. You know, band directors will hire me for seminars, and people will. I don't have to go audition. People will say, "Oh, have you got a band? I need a. I need a group for this. It pays that much." And part of it has been luck. Um, most of the people I've worked with are really high quality people, which has been that has been a good luck for me. So that my name has been associated with projects that people um, respect and they like. So, right. so then they they don't have any fear to give me gigs or because they know I'll I'll bring something good. So it's definitely gotten easier for me. Do you feel though that there's less full-time professional musicians in Portland than there used to be? Well, <coughs> yeah, people are often surprised that um, that I don't, that, you know, even if I'm taking Uber to a gig the other day and the driver was so surprised, like, that's all, y that's what you do? You know, and I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. And he, he was like, well, 
isn't is most of your money from teaching and i was like it's no it's half and half like it's half performance and studio work and and half teaching um and it varies it could be more in the summertime you know for for playing and less teaching but um uh, people will say like oh i want to get to that position how do you get to that position it took me a really long time to get to this position and to build up your studio and to build one of the bands that i'm in that gets paid now we didn't always get paid you know we started when we started we agreed that we all were in the band for the music and now we're getting paid but we i've t i've taken gigs for no money before if i feel like it's gonna go somewhere or uh, it's something i really want to do yeah i don't think that it can be instant for people and i think that like i was saying with there are so many people here that want that that just want to only be full-time musicians and teachers but at the same time i see friends of mine that have trios they play four nights a week three hundred dollars that's a hundred bucks a person um you're so and they don't seem to have any problem doing that week after week after week so they're playing five or six times a week i think it's perfectly feasible but you have to hustle mm -hmm. and i i don't want to hustle <laughs> that hard <laughs> the older <laughs> that i get i want people to just give me work <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> good work that i like <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> but I think if you hustle and you're willing to hustle, uh, you can make a living, you know, because some people, as they get older, they don't want to be doing the club scene anymore. Uh, they don't even want to be teaching anymore. So uh, as people sort of phase out of that, then new opportunities for people open. So mm -hmm. have you seen any shift in how supportive just the overall community of Portland in general is to the music scene? Um, yes. So there used to be a lot more clubs, um, that w could go until one or two in the morning. And, um, <clears throat> I've definitely seen a shift in, I uh, clubs, uh, will open the, f the Fremont theater and it's in a residential neighborhood. Well, it wasn't enough that they stopped at 10, you know, they, they were, uh, shut down because the yoga studio above them didn't like the noise you know and like what noise the noise you're not are you having yoga at 9 p.m and i oh there was a, a blues club over in a non-residential area duff's garage um and the catering company they're in a they're in a um a business district and the catering company complained about the noise and again that club didn't go past 11 um, and uh, the noise regulation thing, and one of the city commissioners um, really went went after a lot of the clubs in residential areas in Northwest Portland, and I I feel like they are gunning for clubs and um, on a on a city level, and I think that's a really um, dumb idea because cities should have vibrant music scenes and cities stay up late and I. Uh, um, I get it with people coming out and making noise, but the next thing they did is the sprinklers. You know, they went after clubs 
but they were targeting clubs and not and it's not just me saying these this that people have, have been sued because of unfairly targeting clubs we don't have two hundred thousand dollars for a sprinkler system well why aren't you shutting down uh these other places you know um and then now they want to have the regulations for the earthquake well i get it and they want to be safe and it's for insurance but i really have this um anger i guess that at a uh, why are you trying to sh- shut down clubs? Clubs are a part of our scene, and they're vibrant. And um, we say that we love live music here. Well, you need a, a operating club scene, and it just feels like venues are shutting down, uh, especially ones with more than, say, a trio. Uh, it's it's I I definitely think it's gone downhill as far as that's when I was when I was coming up, there was tons of clubs like i said you could go at the candlelight we would play a full weekend we would play nine to two uh we would play at key largo same thing you know nine to two now it's eight to eleven oh it got moved to seven to ten you know mm-hmm. it's like is everybody just getting so old that they just you know, they have to go to bed at nine thirty? you know and and the jazz jams used to go a lot longer so uh, yeah, I, I feel like it has gone downhill. I've seen it. I feel like there's a difference for sure. Can you think of anything about the music scene just sort of in general in Portland that's changed since then that you like? Have there um, any been positive changes? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm bitter. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I like that um, it actually used to be a lot more clicky. And uh, so even within within the genres, um, like say for jazz, for instance, um, the the bebop people didn't like the out people, and the out people didn't like the swing people, and the swing people didn't like the Dixie people, and no one liked each other. And if you played in one scene, it was highly unlikely that other players were going to view you. So, say, Renato Caranto, one of the top sax players in Portland. Hands barred. Everyone would say that. You know, and he actually went out with a, with a country star now. But when he came up, he was playing blues, and people were like, oh, Renato, the blues player. Now he's known as one of the best jazz players in town, and no one even questions anything about him. But when I was here, he was sort of dismissively called, oh, he's a blues player. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be... Don't get the name of a blues player on you because no one will hire you for jazz. And or or, or oh God, avant-garde music. By all means, don't associate yourself with those people. Um, you'll get labeled. And it was the same in other genres. So in, in um, you know, the alt country, God forbid you should play a pop song, you know, and then the pop bands uh, hated the indie bands because they're just idiots who can't play and then the punkers kept to themselves um, and then within all of those genres and subgenres that d- that wouldn't interact with each other or you had to sort of quietly do so um, for fear of <laughs> you know getting a bad reputation then also too you had the old school Portland versus the new school Portland and, and that was way worse in those days you know uh, you had to have a rep, you had to have, you know, I was sort of okay because I was coming from Eugene, but God forbid back in that day that I would 
you know, some upstart from Santa Monica or something. <laughs> Probably would have been burned at the stake, you know. But now I feel like there's so much mixing of genres and that it's popular. It's, it's great. You have a funk, hip-hop, metal, uh, avant-garde, Ethiopian band. Stellar, you know, like the more that you and I agree with that because I always liked to play all kinds of music and I never felt like just because I wanted to go to a blues jam didn't mean that I could go to an avant-garde that didn't mean that I can't swing and play changes that doesn't mean that I would go and play with a dead band you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like and that was another thing like oh god don't play with the hippies you know and <laughs> and I feel like the scenes um even though you tend to have basic scenes, there's a lot more commingling, and it's much more appreciated now. And I think uh, that's the way music is always progressing to blend together. And I think we're having a really wonderful uh, time where people want to have. So people will say, well, "What kind of saxophone do you?" play and I and I say I whatever kind of music you want to put saxophone on and I've played on some weird albums where I'm like I don't really hear saxophone but sure you know well let's go for it let's do this <laughs> and and it worked out fine so I I enjoy that I think it's great for the kids you know they can go play avant-garde they can go play changes nobody questions that anymore well, do you see the point of view, though, from I feel there's a lot of people in this town who feel like the scenes are still too disassociative from one another? That yeah, I, I, I find that within the scenes, it's OK to, you know, uh, within the jam rock scenes, it's OK to co-mingle with uh alt country and jam and like so within the subgenres, but the larger subgenres like you know i have friends that are horn players that okay well we just play in the jam scene mm -hmm. we well we don't want to go to the jazz scene because you guys are dicks <laughs> you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then uh and then like the alt country or indie can be very closed can be very um you know not let people into that circle don't want people outside of that circle in the circle um and then the punk scene is an entirely different so i might run across a great musician and be like well i haven't heard of you and they're like well i mostly stay to this scene so i i do get what you're saying but i think within the different scenes the the genres are or the different styles are mixing more gotcha but yeah i think there's still that problem for sure well and it seems to me and i mean sort of part of what I'm doing this project about is that, you know, I feel like there's recently there's this new Music Portland sort of group that's got together to have a voice in the town hall when sort of people are coming up saying they want to shut places down because of like yeah. earthquake regulations and stuff. And my thought is, which I wonder if you agree with, is that that the reason some of these places are closing down and they're making these stupid noise ordinance things in places is because there hasn't been enough of a unified voice for just music in general to fight back against these people. Yeah, you know? I, I, I definitely agree. Because everyone, jazz musicians are always, we don't have jazz venues. And that's their 
agenda, right? They're not, but what about venues in general, right? Everyone is so focused on like, we need our kind of venue as opposed to what you're saying. And I 100% agree that people are too focused on wanting to save their own kind of venues as opposed to, you know, there's greater power in greater numbers. And And I think that if people did come together a little bit more like they are doing with the um the earthquake resolutions in particular because that now you're talking about heavy hitters like mcminimums and jim bronberg with revolution hall and mississippi studios and those places are eclectic bigger halls so now everybody's got to be on board instead of just we're losing janice venues or we're losing rockabilly venues no we're losing venues mm-hmm. you know so i do think it's a great thing for people to come together so are you optimistic or what are your thoughts on the future of uh, how things are progressing i'm here? wanting to be optimistic because i think um w- um one thing about having bigger powers behind you which i know we don't like in portland and we want it to all be the underdog but if, if you start pissing off McMinimans and you start pissing off owners of big venues and b- longtime production people here, uh, True West and Revolution Hall and Mississippi Studios, um, those people have, uh, you know, uh, money. <laughs> yeah. Money helps <laughs> when you're trying to convince people. And when you have the entire music community behind you, you can uh, you can make more waves. And I loved uh, Hardesty, who's she immediately went after that stuff, and that's what she promised she would do. And sure enough, she is. She had her uh, campaign party at Holocene with the Norman Sylvester Band. Holocene is not a a blues club so here she is combining genres and clubs and then just bam going after and now i don't know if uh, she can get it done but at least i feel like there's voices that are loud and that have some sort of power and combined with a unified community um I'm going to say, yes, I'm hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Final answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So aside from venues and things like that, can you think of other things that you miss about what the scene used to be? I miss like having that weekend residency in a club. You know, you you go put your gear there. People will know. In the jazz clubs for New York, um, people would, or in Chicago or back in the day, even before, People would have a week run mm-hmm. somewhere, a two-week run somewhere. Um, and uh, one thing I've done when I was here was tried to start series so that people they know they can go there. They might be getting something different every week, but I miss sort of the places to hang out with people in your community. Um, I feel like... Um, we all used to hang out at um, these particular clubs and uh, you felt sort of connected with your community like you would if you were you know, going to church every Sunday and you're with a community or something that w- felt kind of like that. Like I knew places that I could go 
and I'm not just talking about venues. I'm talking about um, just like a a hang. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss that, and I'm sure that there are places that I don't know about, but I certainly feel the lack of it, and I certainly feel hear people talking about it. Like, remember when we all used to hang out, or you could go here and you'd see these people hanging out with. And I know that it happens a little bit here in certain places, but I don't. I just feel like it, there's not as much anymore, and I mi- I do miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you th- think of your favorite place or places to have played or play in town? Um, have played or play now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to love playing at the Candlelight because uh, it's gone now. Um, but it was down the end of the PSU district, so you would get college kids, but you also would get a lot of diverse audience, so black people, you know, and uh, uh, just an age range from young to old, and it's the only thing that, I've only been to New Orleans a couple times, and it's the only thing that really reminded me of that uh, spirit of there was just all kinds of people in there at all times and it was super fun vibe I loved playing there the crowd was into it stayed the whole night you know um, I think you see a little bit of that at Goodfoot um, on certain certain things and I think Goodfoot definitely is trying to do that but it's with a very specific crowd so mm-hmm. that there's people like, oh, we'll not go to the good foot. I do not like jam music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's valid. You know, it's valid. So whereas for me, like the candlelight felt more like very open to everyone and everything. And I, I miss playing there. And it was kind of a dive bar, too, but it had a stage. And but on the opposite spectrum, um, I, I do miss Jimmy Max, both the old one and the new one. It really felt like, hey, I'm I'm somebody. I'm playing downtown at this cool jazz club, and uh, I definitely miss playing at both the old Jimmy Max and the new now gone Jimmy Max. Uh, I miss playing um, at the uh, the old La Luna. Was a big scene here during the '90s, and not only attending concerts there but playing there. Just had a really cool vibe to it. But for today, um, let's see. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I like playing. Where do I like playing? Um, it's. I was going to say all these places, and now they're shut. Now they're shut. Now they're <laughs> shut. Because <laughs> uh, I was going to say the Fremont Theater, but that's gone. Um, um, oh, gosh. I'm blanking now. Um, I did. I was gonna say the mission. I like playing the mission, but now they're gonna shut down. <laughs> I'm just gonna be sad now. <laughs> um, I like Rev Hall. I like Rev Hall a lot. I think it's got a really good vibe, um, and uh, it's it's a cool place to be in. It's a cool place to play. I love the Aladdin too. You know, I have to say, those are both bigger venues. As far as clubs go, I'm just really drawing a blank right now, and maybe that's not a good thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right what about what are like your least favorite places that you've played here oh gosh um <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to name na- names i, I don't name names <laughs> um 
there's sort of these remnants of back in the day when you would have these bigger clubs like Key Largo and um but now they're just kind of slimy like the Gemini in Lake Oswego and it there's just it feels really bro and like the bartenders and staff kind of treat the musicians like oh god here they come again here's your tickets you know and everything is just kind of greasy and just a bored looking sound guy and I feel like there's a lot of those place like there's a place called Billy's in Vancouver I hate that place like <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm not in a particular band I won't name the name of bands <laughs> anymore but I'm glad I'm not I see that band playing there now and I'm like whoo I am so glad I'm not on that gig um so I just I don't like those places they're kind of holdovers from the late 80s early 90s that are sort of these generic just you know I don't know cinnamon whiskey shots lined up on the bar and the TVs are on and this this staff is not particularly glad that you're there um so those kind of places also I don't like on an entirely different level I don't like it when sort of restaurants or wine bars want to have music but they don't really want to have music mm-hmm. although there are some fine wine bars in town like uh, vino veritas up on stark uh, is great and they let the musicians play i've never heard anyone ask to be told turned down uh riva derci there's there's a bunch that are good so i'm not saying they're all bad but places that are restaurants and they decide you know they get a hair up their butt and let's have jazz they don't really want jazz. They, they, you know, a one gig, the guitar player, the lady's coming over to ask him to turn down. And I'm like, he's not playing through his amp. So actually you can't hear him. So he cannot physically turn down anymore. Like <laughs> just felt like packing, telling everybody pack up, you know, they should, they just want light music over their speaker system. I don't, I don't know whether they want us to stand here and just, pluck our instruments you know just for the look of it because obviously they hate music (laughs) i do not like those places i would rather not play (laughs) that is how i feel about that adam (laughs) and thinking beyond jazz and all the music in portland do you think there's a tangible portland sound or a portland vibe maybe if not a sound I definitely think there's a Portland vibe. Um, And I think that you see it clearer when you go to other places. So I used to go up to Seattle all the time with bands. And it was tangible. The audiences in Seattle, regardless if they liked you or not, they'd sort of stand there with their... Because they're too cool to have any sort of outward appearance of enthusiasm or <laughs> positivity <laughs> it just and we're like this happy world beat band and i'm like please don't i do not want to look at an audience of people standing there with their arms crossed just because you're too cool to dance or get into it on the other hand you go down to eugene and we have the twirlers you know which i am all too familiar with <laughs> and that's sort of the opposite spectrum which some people don't like that either you know and that's that's fine (laughs) and i feel like portland is um sort of in between those two things so you have i remember when the portland musicians would come down uh 
to Eugene and play, and they just seemed a little cooler than the Eugene people, like a little bit of an edge, but not dicks. And so I, I think that I, I mean, Portland gets this rep of, of hipsters, and I, that is true. And sometimes the jazz people can be, um, well, people in all genres can be a little bit aloof, you know. Uh, but I, kn- I think, I mean, there's that whole thing at the jazz jams, like, oh, are they going to be in New York? Because that means they're going to cut you. That means their whole, like, I will send my students to jams and know that they're probably not going to come home crying and wanting to quit their instruments, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so I, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but I do know that there is a Portland vibe that sort of beyond the aloofness, we don't really want to be New York. We don't want to be, we don't want to be dicks, but we don't want to be happy pushovers either. So there's this sort of middle ground of, uh, you know, like, okay, well, sure, you know, like, we want to like you, but we'll see. <laughs> like, we'll be nice and welcoming until you mess with us, and then you're out, and we will vibe you. <laughs> yeah, but I think people want to be welcoming. They do, but there's still that little edge of, like, we're not going to be pushovers, you know. Gotcha. Would you say you're proud to be a Portland musician? I am. Yeah, I'm super proud to be a Portland musician. And I, I've supported free programming to start series. And people are like, oh, well, why don't you put your bands in those all the time? And it's not about my personal um, recognition. It's about, like I was saying, having the scene and showcasing. We have awesome, awesome talent here. And I'm, I'm definitely, when you have, I have, people write my bio for me because I don't particularly want to sit there and talk about how all the things I've done and they always whenever I have like a student (laughs) write my bio and they're like Mary Sue a well-respected member of the Portland community that does make me feel proud because um because I admire the quality of talent here so um I'm happy to be included in in them and and I and I feel like we we can be absolutely proud of ourselves for all of the communities of music that we have they're they're pretty stellar on a national and international level can you think of any other um cities or communities that you've been to or haven't even been to that have aspects of them that you'd like to see portland take on um yeah i i think that i think it's great that we have so many places that have no cover Sure, that gets people in the door and packs your houses, but it keeps your guarantee for the bands low. Now, I'm not talking about that I think that we should be New York with a $20 cover and a two-drink minimum, and the drinks are 12 bucks a piece. Our drinks are cheap here, you know, way cheaper than Seattle, San Francisco. You can get a microbrew for 4 bucks at happy hour. People from New York are like, that's ridiculous. So you're already getting good food and drinks for not very much money. And I think that we've had free cover 
uh, for so long that people are sort of outraged if you ask them to pay a cover. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, come on. You have $5. I know you do. You know, then the club owners are like, oh, well, then they won't buy beer. And I'm like, but if they went to New York, they'd be spending 40 bucks, you know. And I get it that we're Portland, but we're also, I'd like to see a little bit more um, and people are still asking you to play for free here. That's ridiculous. I mean, s- and I think it's because we've had this laissez-faire or we're afraid to ask for what we're worth. You know, oh, we're just Portland. Well, we're also really good. So if you get people used to getting everything for free, they're not going to want to go back. So now we have to sort of struggle to be like, Hey, I'm I deserve five dollars. My band rehearses <laughs> works really hard. You know? yeah. So I lo- I guess I I don't want us to be more cutthroat, but I'd like to see the pay scale go up a little bit. I'd like to see the um club owners be a little bit more respectful to the musicians. I think that we've gotten this idea of free talent here for some reason and I think it should go away. When you think about how there's some places, I don't know if anybody in Portland's doing it now, where they've added band tip to people's tabs. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. And it makes it so easy for people and people that wouldn't even have thought about um, uh, going up because pe- people don't carry cash on them a lot. So even if you have a tip jar, I find that people are really generous, um, but they just don't have cash on them a lot of the time. And um, so, yeah, if you add that line, like, brilliant. There you go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure why more people aren't doing that yet. I don't know. And I don't, yeah, I don't understand. It's not that hard. You add a line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the bar has to eat, like, a 37-cent fee or something for processing that. But, you know, come on. It's, yeah. (laughs) Do you have a uh, distinct line of where your artistic integrity and financial payout <laughs> would diverge? Yeah, well, I, I um, when I was coming up, I would take any gig offered to me, um, absolutely. You know, pit work, wedding bands, cover bands, polka bands. Uh, and I was I was bringing up my kids, and I was a young musician, and um, so I definitely would take anything. And I would fight you if you would tell me not like, oh, I don't take those kind of gigs. I would be like, oh, well, why don't you raise my two children, you know, and pay my rent for me? Um, you have your mother's bank account on. Yes, okay, I see why you are so ethical. Um, and also, it was a good learning experience for me. So I became very versatile in what I could do. However, now that I'm in a little bit better of a financial situation due to working hard and, you know, and my boys are grown, I absolutely do not take every gig. And I've, and I just sort of, through the years, started questioning, like, is this making me miserable? You know, there's the woman like, does that bring you joy? I'd be like, does this band, okay, yes, they're making me hate music. And that's, <laughs> if they're making me hate music or I'm coming home and my family runs away from me because they know I'm just going to complain about the band leader or the situations that we're in, and they're like, God, you just never stop complaining. If it gets to that, 
I am like, okay, regardless of the financial implications, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I have through the years, you know, names unmentioned, but you're a terrible band leader. Uh, one year for New Year's Eve, after a particularly terrible New Year's Eve gig the night before, my only resolution was to quit that band, even though that band made me a lot of money. I just said, I, I, it's too much for me. The music was unbearable. The treatment was unbearable. <laughs> the venues were unbearable. So even despite the money, I quit pit orchestra work. I just, you know, I paid a lot, and I just got tired of doing stuff over and over and over. Cover bands, wedding bands, those kind of situations were just making me very unhappy. And I didn't feel like the music was was not having a good time artistically it wasn't what I wanted to be doing and I it was becoming work and so I just I didn't cut all those things out all at once but just uh, every year getting older quality of time and now the bands that I'm in I I like them all artistically and what do you know most of them do pay and uh, I still get to do lots of different things but I definitely am happy and I say to my students, yes, go out and do everything, but then determine maybe you're not meant to be a pit orchestra musician. Maybe you hate weddings and you shouldn't play weddings, you know. And I found that when I would make those decisions, other doors would open up for me. Mm. But I never stopped trying to get better, you know. So I'll always was the pursuit to, um, to, to be better. And I certainly play like myself but when I go play with different kinds of groups I try to play appropriately to that group without losing my own artist integrity like somebody said one time one of my friends like why why are you in that working class band it's just working you know you're not doing anything you're just playing a second tenor part and you know like and I, at the time I really liked being in that band so I said I because I like the band it's fun for me you know and then I did eventually get tired of it, but I resented the working class part of it. You know, it's like there's a lot of people that are happy to have their bands and they go out and they do their thing and and it makes them happy. It's just what makes you happy. And, and, if, and if you feel like you're suffering and your art is suffering, then move on. You know? Yeah. Do you think you could be doing what you're doing here anywhere else? No, I don't. Because... I don't know how I would haul my berry and a tenor on the New York subway with a stand in, you know, in the rain and then come home to a five floor walk up for three times the amount that I'm paying here. And I have a yard and I, you know, I, I don't have to take the subway with my upright base or whatever. Um, and so I don't think I could have the quality of life or do all the things that I do. Absolutely no way. You know, like the other night I had two gigs and one was at a tavern and I brought my Wurlitzer for my friend and I, and I set that up there and then I went up and played a gig with two of my saxes in Southwest and then drove back to the other gig. Uh, you couldn't do that in San Francisco or New York or even Seattle. Like, I don't, I don't think you, that you could. I do feel like as far as a working class musician goes, it's a pretty luxurious life. Not that I'm rolling around in jazz money <laughs> but uh, i think i have a pretty high quality of life you know 